two verses here this evening is all. But they are some incredibly important verses in the entire Word of God. Just verse number 16 and 17. We've, we've covered through verse 15. We even got into the first part of 16 as I was tying it into what Paul was dealing with in the previous verses. And, but tonight we're just going to look at verses 16 and 17. Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we certainly do. We love you, Father. We thank you for our church. I thank you for those who have come here this evening. And, and Lord, I, I'm sure many are tired. And, and uh, Lord, we just ask that you would bless this time. I pray that you'd help everyone to be attentive to the truth of your word. And Lord, help me to stay true to your word. Lord, help me not to venture off of anything on my own, but help me to be obedient to your word and only proclaim what is in accordance and in agreement with your word. So, Father, please work. I pray that you would use this to change us, to draw us closer to you, to strengthen us, to help us. And please, Father, do meet the needs that are here. I pray your word would still be an encouragement to those who need encouragement right now and a help to those. I pray it would be a conviction to those who need convicted. Lord, if there's anyone here who has never truly been saved, they've never truly been converted, Lord, I do pray that this evening they would repent and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Please do that drawing and that convicting. May you be glorified and honored, Lord, I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to start off with a question. I imagine it's true for all of us, but have you ever been ashamed of something you had to tell someone else about? Have you ever been ashamed of something you had to tell others about? I'm sure we've had those different... And I remember one time I was in the Air Force, Elmendorf. This was shortly before I got out of the Air Force in 1998. And uh, we were in an exercise playing the war games there at Elmendorf. And my job during exercises changed a little bit. Um, for I was fuels, if you didn't, most, most people here know that. And so what I had to do was just assess, after an att- simulated attack happened, I would simulate the battle damage and, and write a, had to write up a report and send that off to headquarters in PACAF of what, what took place and what we need replaced from the, from the latest attack. And to do that, though... I would, I would do the report, I would head to the command center on base and get with a, 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 an individual there who would then send it out to the headquarters in, in Hawaii. And so we're in the exercise, and Elmendorf at this time is going through some strange time frame. We had a commander, honestly, the only time I remember this in my entire, well, I was in a long time, nine years, my nine, nine years military career, it was the only time I've had a base commander that you just knew no one liked. For those that were around back then, remember the 90s, he got mad because he thought people were speeding too much in Elmendorf. And I'm not, not exaggerating. Those others who were there at the time remember this. He made the base speed limit everywhere, everywhere, 15 miles an hour, until people got it under control. And so anyhow, he's the commander at this time of Elmendorf Air Force Base. We had an attack happen. I did the report. I headed to the command center. I was immediately led into the command center control room, as I always was. And when I saw the individual sitting over by his computer long table. I went up, went up to them, and I, and I quickly realized something's wrong. He's going, sit down, sit down, sit down. And I'm like, what's going on? And then I turn, and the, the screen was down, and I can see the silhouette of my head up on the screen. 
they're in the middle of a briefing right now, and I'm standing in the middle of the projection. And I'm like, I know the commander is going to be right there. And I turn, and there he was. He's sitting in his chair. His, I can still see him. His arm is up on the side of it. And he's going, staring at me. He goes, are you done yet? Yes, sir. And I sat down and waited for that to finish. Now, in that moment, I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. Because really, the message I had to give, the authority behind it, did not exceed the authority of those that were in that room. Now, had, had I actually had a message from the chief of staff of the Air Force when I entered into there, I would have had no reason to be embarrassed or ashamed. I could have said, no, I'm not sitting down. I have something that you need to hear. The authority isn't of mine, but it would come from, in this case, in my example, the chief of staff. <clears throat> we have a message from the commander-in-chief. We have a, the message, the gospel of Christ. The message of the Creator. Make no mistake about it. The devil goes to great lengths to make you ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He wants to make, he, to this world, he makes it seem ridiculous. One, he wants to keep them blind. And two, he wants to keep you ashamed. I mean, think, think how effective he has been at that part of his plan. To make the gospel and Christians look ridiculous. He knows what he's doing. Because the truth is, the fear of man has been a great deterrence and hindrance to the gospel. Because Christians certainly can be ashamed of the very message they have. The truth is, we have nothing to be ashamed of at all. Nothing at all. This is what these two verses are all about. These two verses contain truths that not only sum up the entire book of Romans, but these verses are life-changing. They hold tremendous truth. They hold truths that are life-transforming. We are literally seeing exactly not only what we need, but what the world needs. Paul proclaimed boldly, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Think about this. We're going through Acts on Sunday mornings. When he was in Galatia, what happened to him? He was stoned, dragged out of the city for dead. He starts off on a second missionary journey. Uh, wow, that's a new word right there. Journey. He gets to Philippi. He is beaten and thrown in prison. He heads to the next town in Thessalonica. He's chased out. He heads to Berea. He gets to Berea. He's smuggled out. He's going to head down to, Cor he's going to, head down to Athens. He's going to be mocked and laughed at. Then he's going to go to Corinth at that time or he's going to be called a fool. And yet here he is proclaiming. He's writing this from Corinth, by the way. Proclaiming, I am so ready to preach the gospel in Rome. None of that deterred him. None of that did he say. No, no how often we would say, oh, it's, it's just a closed door. He wasn't deterred at all. His boldness was there. He was not ashamed one bit. And, and he's talking about going to Rome, the political and pagan capital of the world of that day. Neither ridicule, criticism, persecution, suffering could stop him. He was bold, and he was bold for very good reason. Think of, Paul worlds in his, think of Paul's world in his day. They had Greek logic, Roman law, and Hebrew light. Yet to Paul, none of those things even came close to the truth that he possessed in the gospel. His boldness was incredible. He was in no way ashamed of something that is so great. And think who Paul is. He wasn't some man living in a cave growing up. He was very cosmopolitan. I mean, he was a world traveler at a young age, highly educated. 
He knew what he possessed in the gospel. He knew there is no reason to be ashamed. Christian, know what you possess. It is truly what the world needs. It becomes more and more clear every day, every week, as the months go by, how broken this world is. We have men who actually believe right now they are women. Think about that. Think about this movement that's taking place that is so demonic. Listen, if they're listening to this, you're not a woman in personality, not in emotion, not in spirit, and not in body. Not at all. I'm the one telling you the truth. I'm not your enemy in this. You're, you're believing something that's a lie, and the day will come when it fails you because it's not true at all. You're right, you were missing something, but what you're missing, this has the answer to. You let the lie of the world tell you, oh, you know what you're really feeling is? You're actually the opposite sex. That's nonsense. We have men with men, women with women, believing this is all normal and healthy. Babies being slaughtered as if there's nothing wrong with it. All this under a slogan many times of, well, love is love. No, true love will not allow you to operate in something that's not true. That's not love. That is cruel. That is mean. It's about the political and the culture of our day. It has nothing to do with truth or love. We live in a culture not only with those things. We live in a culture where greed is just controlling, where people are power-hungry, searching for a name for themselves, prestige, stepping on others to get there. Sin is abounding. Church people are more worried about fighting with each other, self-centeredness, poor victim-me mentality, instead of standing up for what's right. Too busy looking around and see, well, what problems are there? Stay, you know, know it helps me get above that when I, when I see stuff all the time. I just, this, what I'm dealing with. Just say, this is what's important. We have what the world needs. Christian, listen, when you're heading to work tomorrow, please understand what you possess. Don't be ashamed. Listen, Mom, when you're at home and you're teaching your children, understand what you possess. There is no reason at all to be remotely ashamed of the gospel of Christ. This text Paul dives into, just showing how important it is. If you notice the punctuation, he is telling you why I am not ashamed of this. He's trying to give understanding to what we have, to what we possess, of the message we carry, the message we have received. I'm going to look at this. If you want to write this down, I'm going to put this outline in four different uh, P's here, if you will. Power, produce, procured, and pure. Power, produce, procured, and pure. First off, as we go through this, let's start with the power. I'll probably spend the most time on this one. He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, colon, here's why. For it is the power of God. Think what he's saying there. 
Think about that. It's not just a cute Sunday school phrase. It's the power of God. And the word used here, of course, many of you, I'm sure, are very much aware of this. The word for power used in this verse is the same word in which we get the word dynamite. It's dealing with great power. This message might sound foolish to the world. But the gospel is so effective because it carries with it that power of God. The omnipotence of God. Who would actually be ashamed of power? Absolutely no one. That is foolish. Listen, if the gospel doesn't actually have power, yes, be ashamed. Because it will do nothing. But if the gospel has power, proclaim it. If it's empty words, then be ashamed. If it's just an empty religion and there's really nothing to it, we're just a social club, then be ashamed. No reason to suffer reproach, persecution, lose your job. But if it's true, if it actually is the power of God, if it actually is the answer that the world needs, there is no reason to be ashamed. No wonder Paul was not ashamed. He was taking this message to the wicked, sinful city of Rome. He, in context, desiring to get there. The one message that Paul knew had the power to change lives. He knew it. He saw it happen. This was before a man who was a Pharisee. He saw how it changed his life in a moment. He saw how it changed those lives in Galatia as he went through there. As he traveled into Philippi, and no doubt on his mind as, he, as he's writing, this is perhaps the, uh, the, the Philippian jailer. His life changed in a moment. He knew it was the power of God. That this just wasn't a fairy tale. This just wasn't some pagan religion. This just wasn't some legalistic approach. This was something that actually changed men. This is the answer. We, we, even as Christians, we go to so many other places for the answer. But this is it. This is what will change men. He saw the gospel change uh, uh, the lives of so many people. He knew how it changed him on that road to Damascus. He saw how it worked in Antioch. It has the power to change you. Let's face it, the truth is, think about this. This world, people want change. They want change in their life, I'm speaking. Look at all the advertising that's out there, all the products that are sold. It's usually catered because the world knows people want to change their life. Here, this will make you feel better. This will make you look better. This will make you more happy. This will help you stop bad habits. People are constantly looking for the power to change. Change. 
The desire is real and the desire is genuine because deep down we all know something is wrong with us. And the devil is providing these outrageous answers. Like with the transgender movement that's taking place. Knowing the void is there. And listen, when it comes to masculinity, even on the feminine side, there's a spectrum, there's a scale of it. And so the world's telling those that are on one side of the scale, oh, you must be a female. No, that's foolish. You're not in any way. You are either 100% man or 100% female. There is no in-between. People want change in their life and they know they need it and they're looking for the answer. People asking the question after they do something, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why don't I stop doing that? The truth is we all want, we all know, we need change in our lives. Jeremiah 13, 23, Jeremiah says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or can the leopard change his spots? The truth is, we lack power. We struggle to change, and many times if we do make change, it's just so short-lived. We try it in the ability of the own flesh. We try it through the programs, but it just fails and goes by the wayside. As it says in Romans chapter 7, the good that I would, I do not. Yet the evil that I would not, that I do. Many people recognizing they need change turn to different avenues. Some turn to religion. They find it's in vain. They think, I'll turn over to good works. I'll turn over a new leaf. I'll, turn, I'll reform my life. They turn to a law, or the law even. But they soon find the power is just absent. Even the church alone without Christ is completely powerless. The deeds of the law cannot save. Your good works can never save you. Only by the power of God can change take place. You can think of the drunkard who became a pastor. The prostitute who becomes just a godly woman. The gospel has transformed countless number of lives. I thought of a man, although he wasn't as wretched, but I was doing something with one of the men in New Guinea. He was older when he got saved. His name was Joseph. And uh, he was, was there was was several, about, not several, I think in the work in Kudukudu, there was about four or five men who were, really elderly that put their faith in Christ, and Joseph was one of them. And, and just to see this guy, he was in the village, and just an aimless life. And then he put his faith in Christ. The guy just didn't miss church after that. Just a whole new purpose. His whole outlook, everything changed for him. I remember when I left for my first furlough. It was the last Sunday we were there before coming back on our furlough in 2007. And he's just weeping and weeping and weeping. He just said, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. On that furlough, he got sick. 
It was near the end of my furlough. I was calling back and checking, and they said, he's going to die. He's going to pass. And they told me, they said, now he's waiting for you. He's waiting for you. So weeks went by. I finally, where it's time for us to return. We get back there the day that I get into Nemeth and I finally. And the family was not with us. It was actually just me and uh, Daniel at the time. That's when our house was destroyed by rats and termites. So Marion and the girls were on another island. And me and Levi headed over to work on the house. So the day we get there, they told me, Joseph is still alive. He wants to see you. I head down there. He's in what they call this little houseboy, little bamboo bed. Not moving at all. You can tell, as soon as I got in there, you knew he was just at death's door. And I got there, and he's just laying there. And he, had, he smiled. And I, I, don't, I understand when I get to heaven exactly what he meant. I'm sure it was a cultural thing. I didn't quite get it. But I knew it dealt with him getting ready to go to heaven. He just looked at me and said, my plate is now ready. He died that night. And to think what he left and all of a sudden went to heaven. But you think the moment that salvation comes, a person knows how they got here, why they're here, where they're going, and what their purpose in life is, just like that. The very answers they strive to look for are answered at a moment in time. There is God's power in the gospel. Don't forget that. One commentator in talking about this, I like what he said. I'll I'll just quote from him directly talking about the power that's in the gospel. He said, how much power is behind the gospel? He said, I'll tell you. The Bible says God has great power, Psalm 79. The Bible says God has strong power, Psalm 89. The Bible says God has glorious power, Exodus 15. He has mighty power, Job 9. He has everlasting power, Isaiah 26. He has sovereign power, Romans chapter 9. He has effectual power, Isaiah 43. He has irresistible power, Deuteronomy 32. He has incomparable power, Psalm 89. He has unsearchable power, Job chapter 5. It is the same power that parted the Red Sea. Do you understand? You're giving, it's the same power. The same power that made the blind to see, the lame to walk, that when Christ, or, or, or the, uh, the dead to be raised. It's the same power. No different. We have to understand we possess. Don't let the devil blind you to the fear of man and be ashamed of what you have. It's exactly what they need. Proclaim it with passion and with boldness. The world mocks the gospel. This was a Greek philosopher in the second century. He wrote this about Christianity, 178. He hated it. He's known, if, you, if you actually Google his name, they don't come up. This is a Greek philosopher who hated Christianity. That's pretty much the first sentence you're going to see about this guy. He wrote this about Christianity. I just think it's amazing. This is 150 years after Christ and already the power it has over the known world. Incredible. He said this, Let no cultured person draw near, none wise, none sensible, for all that kind of thing we count evil. But if any man is ignorant, if, if any is wanting, uh, wanting in sense and culture, if any is a fool, let him come boldly to Christianity. It was for fools. Of the Christians, he wrote, we see them in their own houses, wool dressers. Oh, they dress modestly. How about that? Isn't that amazing? Don't, don't, don't tell Christians that today. They dress modestly. We don't, we don't want to say that today. I mean, how could we be effective if we dress modestly? 
Oh, and I've got to get a tattoo. I'll, I'll do that when I'm in Korea. Isn't that crazy? To all these, never mind. Whole other message. He said, Christians are like swarms of bats. They're like ants creeping out of their nests. They're like frogs holding a symposium around a swamp. He said, they're like worms cowering in the muck. He said, they worship a dead man. He's wrong about a lot of this, isn't he? The point is, you can see where the devil is at work then just like he is now to put a hatred in towards Christianity. Listen, don't be ashamed. One, because it has the power of God. Now, what does that power produce? Number two. We see that power leads to what it produces is salvation. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation uh, to, the, uh, to everyone. Well, I'll stop there. Just to salvation. I'm getting it and tie that into the third point here in a second. The word salvation is used a total of uh, 13 times in this epistle by Paul, five times in the same sense here, and then eight times in the verb form. The word means deliverance, it means to be rescued. This power that Paul is talking about is what rescues man. It rescues him from, his, from the greatest threat he has. This power of the gospel produces salvation. From, according to Matthew 18, it produces salvation from lostness, from the wrath of God in Romans 5, from willful spiritual ignorance, Hosea chapter 4, Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, from evil self-indulgence, Luke 14, uh, from the darkness of false religion, Colossians 1, 1 Peter 2. It rescues from the ultimate penalty of sin, eternal separation from God, and eternal punishment. It saves us from sin, Satan, judgment, death, and hell. There is power in it. It includes much when this salvation is produced. When it happens the way God designed this, it produces forgiveness. Life in the Spirit of God as He indwells us. It produces eternity for us, a resurrection for us. There's power in it. And what it produces is incredible. There is nothing else in the world that can produce anything of the sort. But we go around moping. We don't understand what we possess. As I said earlier, people know something is wrong. They know they need change. For some, they think they need some type of economic salvation or we need political salvation or social salvation. No. The answer is this. They think purpose will come in some type of acceptance or some type of position or some type of wealth. No. If I just can upgrade my life, if I can just get to a different class, if I can just get to a, a different place economically. No, that's not the answer. It's not you deciding all of a sudden to dress like a woman. That's not the answer. Again, amazing. When a person actually gets saved instantly... He knows again where he came from, where he's going, right where he is. Now that person can live life as was it intended by the Creator. Thirdly, we see what it procures. How to procure it, I should say. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We see now how this power that gives salvation, so how does it take place? How do we activate it? Faith. Faith. The word here means to trust, to rely, and to have faith in. The power is there to save, and now we see how to procure it, how to have access to it, through faith. This has been true since the very beginning. Faith has always been the key. Just as the Bible says, Abraham believed God and was cattle and in for righteousness. Faith. A true and genuine faith. Not just mental assent to some knowledge. And really, when you break faith down, there's almost like three elements to it. It's not complex. Don't make it harder than what it is because it isn't hard. And every single person alive has faith. That's Romans 12, 3. God has given to every man a measure of faith. When we're dealing with faith in regards to salvation, the first step is with our mind, our intellect, mental side of the house. Where the mind is understanding the gospel, the truth about Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. That knowledge comes in, Romans chapter 10. But then there's choices to be made. An embracing of that truth. Those facts. Usually producing a regret or sorrow of sin and, and almost just a, a realization of the mercy and grace of God. Then that affects our will, our volition, where the sinner decides, I want him. I will submit. I will trust in Christ. I will place my faith in Him. And nothing else. Trusting in Him alone. And genuine faith, as we know in Scripture, I'm not going into this, will always, will always, always produce authentic obedience. You don't have to beg a Christian to come to church. You don't. You just don't. You don't have to beg. There, there's a desire for God. Are they going to stumble and fall? Yes, there's no doubt. But the desire, if somebody gets saved and they've never had a desire for God, listen to me, they're not saved. There's, no, there's never been conversion. See, you can't tell me you believe what I just said about the power of God and then tell me a person who made a profession of faith and has no change. But they said the words, yay. Faith is how you procure it, not saying the right words. Many today, when they recognize that need for change, they, this world, that's why we have to go throughout the entire world. That's why we have to reach Anchorage, Alaska, our, our country, the world, because people are going to all different means to try and procure salvation, if you will. That's our terminology of it. Every group has different ways. You, go to, you know, I'm getting ready to go into Korea. Go into the far, the Eastern religions. Head into India and, and the importance of enlightenment. They think that's the road of salvation. No, it's not. Want to know why? No power. None. 
No power to forgive. No power to save you from judgment. I don't care how enlightened you get. There's no power. I don't care if you go sit in a monastery for the next 30 years and don't say a word. Only thing you did was waste 30 years. It's not in enlightenment. It's not in education. Is education important? It is. But that's not the answer to the world's problems. It's not the answer to change. I mean, education, people who get more and more educated apart from Christ, they just get wiser in how to be a more wicked criminal. That's true. Or they look to good works, if I can just reform. Many times these are people who want genuine change, of course. But we have the answer. It's not procured by any of these things. It's procured by faith in Christ. I like how it says it to everyone that believeth. Again, on Sunday nights, we just started this series on Calvinism on Sunday night. It's to everyone that believeth. The Jew first and also to the Greek. And that just makes sense. It's for all men. But he went to the Jew first. I'm going to read from one commentator on this to answer that. His words are far better than mine. He said, the preaching of the gospel to the Jews first served various important ends. It fulfilled Old Testament prophecies. It manifested the compassion of the Lord Jesus for those, who, for those who shed his blood, to whom after his resurrection he commanded his gospel to be first proclaimed. It showed that it was to be preached to the chief of sinners and proved the sovereign uh, effectualness of his atonement in expiating the guilt even of his own murderers. It was fit, too, that the gospel should begin to be preached where the great transaction took place on which it was founded. It is for all men. And then lastly, verse 17. Wow. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So what he's doing now is, again, he's, he's making the argument of how important this is never to be ashamed of it. Thinking what it, it has the power of God to produce salvation that is procured by faith. And now what Paul is doing here, he's unveiling how it works. How this is possible. How we're made pure. So how, why is it then that faith in that? What is it about the power of God that enables this to take place? That has such power to save us from sin, from judgment, from eternity in hell? He unveils it. This is perhaps the key verse of the entire epistle. The word righteousness is used one way or another over 60 times in this epistle. He wants to show us how God's power uses faith that saves. He says, for therein, speaking of the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed. Referring back to how those believe now, from faith to faith. How it's procured, I should say, from faith to faith. He 
It is God's righteousness that's revealed in the gospel. That is what enables salvation to take place. It is the cure. It is the medicine. It is the answer. Where the majority of the world, especially in the Jewish culture, and true of most of Christianity for that matter, they view God's righteousness almost as, as, the, as the fear aspect of it. Almost as the problem. But it's the answer. People thought the righteousness of God is what condemned, but the opposite is true. It's what saves. It's what has the ability to provide salvation for all men. You see, in order to save us, God created a way to impute righteousness. I still remember the very first time 2 Corinthians 5.21 grabbed me, like it was yesterday. I was 21 years old in, in a college class at Bream. We were doing a video class at the time at Bream Baptist Center, Pastor Bird. This is when he had said, I'll start training you. So we had about... Three of us, I think, in the class was it, and we were meeting during the weeknights, and we were doing video a class on there. And the verse got brought up, and now I was back in my study, so I flipped on over to 2 Corinthians 5.21, and boy, did it grab me that time. And I'm looking at that and thinking, this is the answer. And then I'm mad at myself, and I said, why have I never used this verse when I've talked to somebody? Then I was mad at everybody that ever taught me. Why didn't nobody ever teach me to use this verse? It's the answer. I wasn't even connecting it yet to verses like Romans 1.17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. That verse, if you're not familiar with it, says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. As Paul unveils what took place, he's showing them, listen, this salvation by faith is possible because of what God did in Christ by giving to us the righteousness of God. Would you just think about that for a second? I mean, he's giving to us that perfect life. This holy, just, and perfect God is saying, you know what? I'm going to impute all of that to you. Paul's saying, this is how God is able to save. Because of what took place on Calvary, where he took our sin upon himself to give us his righteousness. Look in Romans chapter 3. We're going to be there in just, just a, 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 probably a month or two here in the book of Romans. We all know verse 23, but we probably should have focused on 21 and 22. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now get this, verse 22. We, we, we were taught 23. 22 is the key. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all of them that believe, for there is no difference. Amazing. 
Amazing how God saved us. That if we look at sinful, wicked man in rebellion to him, yet him willing to take our sin and to give us his righteousness. Do you understand? That is the only way salvation is possible before a holy and just God. The only way. We can access it by faith. Look at Philippians chapter 3 then for the Christian. This gets, this is, we, we should preach in Philippians 3 now then. Look at this. Let's start in verse 8. 9 is going to be the key. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and to count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. How anyone could ever believe they could lose their salvation is absurd. They have no understanding of it whatsoever. The moment a person is saved, God imputes to you his son's righteousness. It's perfect. I procured it how? Faith. Not in baptism. Not in church membership. Count Zinzerdorf, if you know who he is, the Moravians. I mean, I'm going to quote from him about this. He said, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty, are my glorious dress. Midst flaming worlds in these arrayed with joy, I lift up my head. Bold shall I stand in thy great day, for aught to my uh, charge shall lay. Fully absolved through these I am, from fear and sin and guilt and shame. How Jesus, thy blood and righteousness... All that he did. In the gospel, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. It is how he saves mankind. It's not a prayer that saves you. It's not. It was when Jesus Christ went to that cross... And took all your sin upon himself. So why? So he could give you his perfect life. So that he could give you God's righteousness. Just think how wicked and vile you are. Think of all the times and all the complaining and all the grumbling and all the wickedness and all the ignoring. And yet through it all that when he was well aware that's exactly how you would be. He was willing to give you his perfect righteousness and make his son look as if he was the one doing your actions. That is love and that is grace. That is the message we have for the world. It is the only way they can be saved. It is the only way that will lead to genuine change. They will not escape judgment. They will not escape an eternal separation from God. They will not escape the results of sin. Apart from the power of the gospel. The phrase, <clears throat> excuse me, the phrase from faith to faith, this is showing how it's, it's really all by faith. 
from beginning to end, from Abraham to the end, from faith to faith. There is no change. This is what it's about. Listen, Christian, don't be ashamed of the gospel. The devil's going to do his best to get in your mind for you to be ashamed of it. To cower down. To not want to talk to that co-worker. To that family member. When you do it, one, have that under, it's not difficult, but have the understanding of the gospel when you present it. Present it with some passion, not some canned sales pitch. As if you have the very answer for what they've been looking for their entire life, because that's exactly what you have. Don't ever be ashamed of it. With heads bowed and eyes closed.